When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Only Lovers Left Alive is a meditation on art, science, and the mysteries of love as a depressed musician reunites with his lover, though their centuries-long romance becomes disrupted by the arrival of her younger sister. Starring Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston, it is now playing On Demand. Comedian Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon reunite for a tour of Italy's finest food, hotels, and women in The Trip to Italy, now playing On Demand. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies On Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I am Matt Singer. And this week on the show, Allison and I are going to argue over which of us is the evil spawn of Satine and which of us is a messiah from another world as we discuss the 1979 film, The Visitor. Really, we both want to be the evil spawn. I'm of kind of hoping I turn out to be the I one know. who's the spawn. It's, it's the better. It's the, the better. Spa- role. As they say, the old expression, the spawn of Satine, have more fun. <laughs> it's a great song by Cindy Lauper. Anyway, go yes. ahead, Allison. I'm sorry. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered on a common theme. And in honor of The Visitor, which features some interesting casting choices, we were going to look at some other films featuring former conservative radio host and self-described equal opportunity offender Neil Bortz. Alas, aside from an uncredited appearance as an extra in Invasion USA, Bortz's acting career began and ended with his small role in The Visitor. So instead, we're going to talk about some other movies that, like The Visitor, are utterly insane and available to stream right now. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies On Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, what have we picked out this week? Uh, we are out of Bort's license plates in the gift shop. <laughs> Repeat, we are out of Bort's license plates. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a great time to be checking out stuff on VOD, actually. The summer is officially over. It's done. We made it. We survived. It's good, it's good movie season now. It's award season, it's Oscar season, whatever you want to call it. And I know, it's particularly in the last month, I've been busy with some projects. I've really been slacking off. I've been missing some stuff. So now I'm excited because I've got three picks here, all movies I'm dying to check out. Heard some good things about all of them and very excited to see them. I'm going to start first with the new film from Kelly Reichert, fabulous director of Old Joy, Wendy and Lucy, and Meek's Cutoff, uh, fabulous American Indies. Her new film is called Night Moves. It's available on VOD starting on September 2nd. It's an unconventional thriller about eco-terrorists with an awesome cast, including Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, and Peter Sarsgaard. And with that cast and that director, at least for me, Allison, you know, like, I would be excited for that movie if it was 90 minutes of them singing a karaoke version of Bob Seger's Night Moves. Like, that, I don't care. I'll watch that movie. But the, the premise that these, they're these activists, like, debating how far to take their ideals 
that sounds really interesting as well. And you know, especially given some of the stuff in the news I, uh, recently, I think I think it's going to be a movie that's going to resonate for a while. And just reading some reviews of the movie, I know Scott Tobias at the at the Dissolve. You would think I would know the name of the website that I work for, but apparently <laughs> I don't. Uh, he compared it in his review to Blue Ruin, a movie we've talked about on the show and we both really liked. Just in the way that it sort of follows these people who are sort of amateurs, kind of in over their head, and then, and then sort of methodically follows them going through a plan step by step. And how do you do it? And what do you do next? And what happens when something goes wrong? The fact that he compared it to that and its approach, I really love that movie. I love the way it, it looked at those characters. So... That makes me even more excited to see it. So I'm really dying to check this one out. Which way are you going back? About 26, across the mountain. It's out of the way, but there's more traffic. We can blend in. When we split up, we shouldn't talk on the phone. Yeah, no way. Yeah, no contact. No contact. No contact? Yeah. Howdy. How you guys doing today? Not bad. Beautiful day. Don't mind me, I'm just out walking around. Gotta keep walking all the time. My legs are killing me, nerves are messed up. You don't wanna hear about it. Anyway, awesome spot you found. Yep. Yeah, they fixed it up real nice. Oh yeah, I used to come here back in the 80s. <laughs> back in the 80s. Man, those are wild times. Wild times. It's Night Moves. It's available on VOD starting on September 2nd. Next up, we've got the latest film from Terry Gilliam, another director I really love. Uh, he made 12 Monkeys and Time Bandits, some Monty Python films, of course, Brazil, one of my all-time favorites. This new film is called The Zero Theorem. It's available now on VOD. This is the description of the plot from the Movies on Demand on Cable website it says, in the near future, a computer hacker, played by Oscar winner Christoph Waltz, is given a seemingly impossible mission by a shadowy, all-powerful corporation. Yep, sure sounds like a Terry Gilliam <laughs> movie to me. Uh, it also stars Matt Damon, Ben Wishaw, Peter Stormare, and Tilda Swinton. And finally, I have one more pick for you. It's a film that's just out in theaters. It might actually be playing... In a theater near you, depending on where you are, if you're in New York, maybe L.A., a couple of other places. But it's also just coming out on VOD. Uh, it, it doesn't have a famous director in this case, David McKenzie, who I think has done a few things that I haven't seen. Uh, but this film also getting some phenomenal reviews. Again, uh, The Dissolve, uh, my website that I work for, gave it a, a really glowing review. Tasha Robinson gave it like 4.5 out of 5 stars. One of the best rated movies of the year that we've, we've done and just generally, a lot of colleagues that I know have seen it say it's amazing. It's called Starred Up, Starred, S-T-A-R-R-E-D. Uh, I think that's slang, right? That's some kind it's of prison actually, slang? It's uh, it's the term for the, the main character is 19, and right. he has just been moved up two years early from a juvenile prison to adult prison because right. he's so violent. Right. And Jack O'Connell, right, is, yes. the, is the lead actor. He plays this guy, as you said, he's like a you know, teenager, but he's been thrown into an adult prison. And I, I guess it's not a spoiler to say that his father is in the prison, no, too, right? That's sort of the main the crux first, of it, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, and played by Ben Mendelsohn is the father. Uh, several people I've spoken to have compared the movie also to A Prophet, Jacques Odiard's fabulous prison film from a few years ago that I was a huge fan of. So, again, uh, superb prison drama. I like that one a lot. So, again, comparisons where you tell me that, you say, this is a movie, it's like that. 
I'm interested. You've seen this one, correct? I have, and I I liked it a lot as well. You liked it's, it a lot as I well. I think it is a really it's a really great film about people who are kind of instinctively violent and aggressive trying to be trying to not be, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways. Like there's a father-son relationship that's just kind of defined by both sides' aggressiveness. And then there's also a kind of a therapy group, essentially, that the the, the person who wrote the this movie was a voluntary prison therapist mm. for people who are particularly violent. And that's an aspect of the movie as well. And it deals with men who are just, have all their lives kind of, you know, gone right to violence, mm-hmm. trying not to do that. And it, it gets at that in some very great ways. Cool. All right. I got to check it out. I'm, I'm going to very soon. It's Start Up. And you can watch it now on VOD. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so blue. So we're calling these the, the the topic today. I guess like WTF movies. You know, movies that are def, they defy they defy categorization, explanation. They are crazy, insane, not of this world. Sometimes, literally, it seems. Uh, what do we have to say in a general sense, Allison? Anything you want to say? I say that. To make a really good movie that falls in this category, you can't aspire to make a weird movie. Like, too mm. obviously. You know, I feel like when a movie is straining to be wacky, yes, that there's something off-putting about that. In the same way that when a movie is straining to be campy. Sure. You know, or straining to be deliberately bad. Yes. It's just... Can you give me an example of something you think is trying to be hmm. WTF, that's trying to be wacky? Come back to me for that. Okay. I'll think on it. Okay. Yeah. What I would say is that... I, I think I think that's a fair point. I'm not sure. I don't know that I have an example for you, but you know you can think about Actually, it. Actually, here's what I would say. Yes, Zero Theorem, oh. <laughs> the new Terry Gilliam movie. You feel is a little too it's it, trying too hard. Yes, I think, and that's I, something that I feel has kind of marked Terry Gilliam's recent films. Mm-hmm. Is He's that reaching. he has a natural, great, interesting, sure. crazy vision. Yes, but he does, I think, push a little hard for mm-hmm. this, and that was how I felt about Zero Theorem. Okay, all yes. right. Could have brought that to my attention earlier, but that's fine. I'll allow it. What I was going to say about these sorts of movies, these WTF movies, for lack of a, a better term, is that I kind of love them. Even when I don't like the movies necessarily, I love watching them. I love being knocked back on my heels by a movie. I love being surprised. And part of that I, maybe is our job, right? That we see so many movies, that, and they all are so similar. And, and by design, they are made... You know, like uh, they're extruded from the factory, from the machine. They're just, they're squirted out one after another to be identical. So many of them, right? By design. And these movies are the ones, these are the, like when you go to like a department store and you see the ones that are like, what do they call them? Like they're the defectives or like when you buy a shirt that's like $4 because it has. Irregular. Irregulars. Thank you. (laughs) That's what they are. Maybe that's the genre we should call these. They're the irregulars. They're the ones, they didn't come out quite right. But they're interesting. They have character. They have personality. They're not boring. You know, they might not be great. They might strive for something they don't achieve, but they strive for something. And a lot of times I would I would take 
a, a crazy movie that that's not all that great or that fails than a boring movie that sort of succeeds at very small, like very small ambitions. I agree. And, you know, we're in that time of year where you mentioned we're going past all we're getting past all the blockbusters and we're getting into award season. Yes. And that's when we start to see a lot of movies that like fit a certain other format absolutely you know, this prestige format and there are times when i look ahead at to some of the movies that are coming up where i just like i would so much rather watch something that's just complete like a complete disaster right. than watch something that is this kind of sheen of prestige you know usually based on a true story uplifting like great Oscar central bait. performance sure Oscar bait, yes. yeah absolutely but absolutely. I, I also like do you think that part of that comes from if you watch a lot of movies the more of a taste you have for some oddity like yes i, I don't think either of us talk about this are, are going to talk about this one but like the last movie right like dennis right. hopper's infamously nutty comp- like definitely a wtf movie exactly definitely a, an irregular like that. but like that's a, that is not a well-known movie no. and i feel like it is beloved by cinephiles i do love that movie right actually. because it's 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 crazy, crazy. yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he went down to South America and shot it like yes. basically by himself. And it's got this weird cargo cult thing going on it's where insane. the people make yes. Uh, and there's a movie within a movie, yes. and yeah, it's very surreal and bizarre, and seems perhaps That's... I don't want to judge Dennis <laughs> Hopper, the late great Dennis Hopper, but Wait. perhaps. There was some sort of uh, substance that possibly. might happen, and maybe I, I think it's not—it's not irrational to suspect. I don't that. want you know. I don't want to cast aspersions, but right. I have a, a strange suspicion. Don't ask me why. That perhaps some sort of narcotic substances may have played a role right. in, in that. But also, and it came from Dennis Hopper, which I think is part of the appeal. Is just to be like this is someone who is coming off of having made like a, an iconic right. movie, and is like I'm going to pursue my vision. To this insane place. Yes. Right? And to get back to your original question, it's something I've been, I was thinking about too as we were preparing for this episode. Is like, how much do I or you and I or critics in general like these more than the, the, the movie going public in general? Just because we, it's our job to watch a lot of movies. And so we just kind of get a little more tired of the formula. And, you know, look, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the formula when it's executed well. And once in a while, I'm in the mood for a good formula movie. I'm sure you are too. Like you don't want to be challenged once every once in a while. You just, just give me the meat and potatoes. Just make me satisfied in a very traditional way. But I don't know. I I wonder, I think, I think it maybe just has to do with temperament though. I think there are some people who certainly love these movies that we're going to talk about and they're not film critics. They're just, you know, they might be weirdos just like us. You don't have to be a, a film critic to enjoy these films, but they're certainly niche products. They're certainly more cult oddities. They're not necessarily for the mainstream. They're not designed that way. You know, these, these other bland movies that we're talking about, that's what they're designed to appeal to the widest audience. You know, that there is a taste for that. These movies defy that. And maybe that's another reason why I I like them. Should we get to our, our picks? Yes, let's. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. What do you got? What do you got first? All right. My first pick is available to stream on Fandor. And it is Even Dwarves Started Small, 1970 film from Werner Herzog, the great Werner Herzog. It's actually his second scripted film. Um, so it was very early in his career. Black and white, shot on the Canary Islands, cast entirely of little people. This is like one of the, the very few films that has that, uh, can kind of boast that. And in this case, it is set in some sort of institution they never quite define what it is 
but uh, in which the inmates or the people who have been confined there have taken over by the start of the film. And the head of the institution, who is also a little person, every cast member is, has locked himself in into like the top floor while the others are outside taunting him and then basically giving themselves over to anarchy. And the whole movie is just these things that they get up to while they're ro- roaming free. And this includes things that are funny, uh, like where they're sitting down to dinner and it's a civilized looking dinner until they, it just devolves immediately into a food fight from them uh, stealing a car and then setting it up to drive like donuts without a driver in it. So it's just looping in the middle of the courtyard um, to things that are disturbing. And these are all just folded in with the exact same tone. So like staging cockfights, there's a kind of impressive and disturbing amount of uh, animal abuse in this movie and it doesn't look staged um, setting things on fire uh, there are there's a monkey which at one point is uh, tied to a cross the, the oh, Werner Herzog yes, the movie like sags between two basic two sound pieces of music on the soundtrack like one is this kind of wailing uh it sounds like it's a spanish song maybe and the other is like it sounds like an african choir and both of these are kind of cheery sounding tropical-ish and the movie just sing like sags from one into the other gradually there's no variation in in tones even from when it you're in this really haunting image of something like when two of the little people have killed a pig and all of her piglets are still like trying to like suckle just lying there. A really disturbing movie underneath this gleeful sense of destruction. And I, I think it's been given a lot of reads and I feel like there's a little bit of a Rorschach to it, to this, like, it's obviously just 90 minutes of craziness, right? Like actual, like just destruction and anarchy and like, and just whatever and all of the characters are always just giggling throughout whatever they're doing whether it's just harmless or whether it's something disturbing uh, including uh helmet doring is the main the like the, the most distinctive character and the one who i think is on the main image when you see him like on a motorcycle and he has this really haunting laugh like this kind of cackle and he laughs throughout most of the movie and the final shot of the movie is just him laughing for like minutes <laughs> Um, while looking at something it uh I, I find the read that it's about the 60s particularly interesting because it's about rebellion that and this feeling of rebellion that's obviously justified these people have been kind of kept in you know like kept locked down but that doesn't go anywhere right like they have no plan they're not going to take over anything they're not going to change things it's just rebellion going into anarchy and like all of this behavior that that is rebellion against nothing in particular uh and it's i don't think that there's one particular meaning you can assign to it but there's no shaking this movie off it is it is very haunting uh and particularly that that laugh i think will stick with you long after after you've tried to forget all the other disturbing things you've seen uh, so I really I think it's definitely worth watching and it's not a movie that's necessarily been that easy to see. So it's nice to see that it popped up on Fandor uh, as part of their ongoing, I think, Werner Herzog rollout. Mm. So definitely worth checking out. 
uh, at the very least for the novelty value. And, you know, if you're sensitive to anything involving animals, maybe steer clear. Even dwarves started small. It's a good small. rule anytime Werner Herzog is involved. Yes. <laughs> Even dwarves started small, currently streaming on Fandor. All right. My first pick. It's set in the dystopian future in the far-flung year of 1994 <laughs> in a world ruled by an American Idol-like singing show and an indeterminately vaguely European Simon Cowell-type named Mr. Boogaloo. I'm talking about the apple <laughs> from 1979 directed by the late and very great Menachem Golan and I mean right off the bat right you have to love that that it's set the, in 1994 15 years in the future from like 1979 they were like yep this is what's gonna happen Cold War is gonna be over capitalism's gonna vanish the only thing that's gonna matter is people dancing in shiny shiny satin jumpsuits big metal helmets shrieking about something called the BIM which is an acronym for Boogaloo International Music. And if Mr. Boogaloo sounds a little like Electric Boogaloo, that's no coincidence because Menachem Golan, the director of the Apple, was the head of the Canon Group, which churned out a ton of schlocky action and exploitation films in the 1980s, including Break Into Electric Boogaloo. I guess he liked that word for some reason. I don't know why. They also, in, in fairness... To Menachem Golan, he's a really interesting guy, and he actually released quite a, a, a few like art house, very arty titles as well, like Jean Luc Godard's King Lear. He produced that, like he, and he was a huge producer for a lot of the '80s. So you know, he just passed away recently. So I, I, I don't mean to disparage him. He made some wonderful films, including this one, which I am about to tell you more about. Uh, the Apple. He directed this one. It is completely from top to bottom beginning to end absolutely insane have you ever seen it allison i have not oh my goodness oh my goodness you have you've, you've missed so much I'm so, i feel so bad for you so the premise of the movie is that it's like the set in this world where the music industry basically runs the world and i guess that's supposed to be satire but uh, you know there's just very little insight to any of it it's just kind of silly the story is about a couple of folk singers who are uh, kind of co-opted by the musical establishment. They're turned into novelty acts, or at least one of them is. Uh, you know, they sell their soul for rock and roll, so to speak, which that's not a terrible idea for a movie. You know, that's basically Phantom of the Paradise, which is a movie I love. Same basic idea. But the actors are terrible. The dialogue is laughable. The songs are basically disco nightmares. And the costume and production design, whoever designed them both, deserves the Lifetime Achievement Razzie Awards for the, the costume and production design in this movie, which are both totally crazy. Among the more WTF aspects of this, of this uh, film, evil bodyguards who look like pigmen for no reason, uh, a Jewish stereotype landlady who lets the hero, this idealistic young folk singer who doesn't want to sell out, she lets him live there. She talks like an Adam Sandler character. Oh, boy, chick, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? You got to pay me the rent. And then at one point, the, the, the lead, the, the hero, the singer guy, he gropes her out of nowhere, like grabs her chest. It's very unsettling. That's bizarre. There's also the National BIM Hour where all work has to stop to appreciate this music that the BIM company uh, churns out. Everyone has to stop whatever they're doing and dance, including firefighters who are putting out a fire. <laughs> they put down their hoses and they start dancing. Some of the songs, too, are just so unbelievably literal. If there's a song about sex, 
I can't even describe what the song like the, what it's about because it's it's too vulgar for this podcast. But there's a lot of writhing and and it's not really even dancing. There's like basically uh, dancers in bed like humping each other. Essentially, that's that's a that's a dancing number. Uh, and, and then if there's a scene where the singer songwriter is contemplating signing a contract with evil Mister Boogaloo, the whole like cast is magically and inexplicably transported to hell, to literal hell, and all the good characters are wearing like Adam and Eve type fig leaves or thongs and the evil characters are dressed like devils basically and they sing and they sing about the apple which is a giant cartoon apple like there's no such it's like there's no symbolism it's so overt it's like literally hitting you over the head with the symbolism every single time that song also includes the line it's a natural 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 desire meet an actual 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 vampire and then a vampire pops out from the bottom of the screen for no reason. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's what the word I was thinking of to describe it as well. The only po- uh, plausible explanation for this movie, Allison, is that everyone who was making it was on a ton of drugs, which is a very real possibility since one of the songs I haven't mentioned so far is called Speed. And guess what that is about? Drugs? It's about the magic of amphetamines <laughs> and how awesome it is it takes it is to take speed. <laughs> The land of the free is shooting up with pure energy, and every day she has to take more speed. America, the home of the brave, is popping pills to keep up the pace, and every day she cries out for more speed. From New York out to LA. So this is a very strange movie. I've seen it a few times. I watched it again this morning. It is on Netflix, if I haven't mentioned that yet. And it is so hilariously bizarre. I was watching it with my headphones on this morning, and my wife was in bed next to me, and she's, like, doing stuff. And then she looks over, and she's like, what the hell are you watching? It was the scene with the thongs and the and the fig leaves and the, and the apple, eat the apple, taste the apple. And I was like, this is the apple. You got you to gotta get on. You got to get into it. And then she was, she was, she was definitely convinced. That this is a movie that everyone must see. It is bizarre. It is strange. It is hilarious. It's kind of terrible, but it's very earnest and beautiful and ridiculous. And you have never, I guarantee you, you have never seen any movie like this in your life. So it's The Apple. It is streaming now on Netflix. All right. Well, my next pick is is set in the actual far, far future. In the actual, actual, like actual 10, far 000, future. They list like what year it is in the beginning, and it's like 10,000 something, so... Are there it's any vampires there. in that one? Are there any vampires yeah. in it? Yeah, actual, actual, De- actual debatable. vampires. Debatable. Maybe no. symbolic vampires. I gotta admit, I'm a little less interested now, but go yeah, ahead. I hear you. Um, it is Dune, which is available for rent on Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, all the usual suspects. You know, we talked recently about uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, yeah. which is a recent doc that is about uh, Jodorowsky's attempts to adapt Frank Herbert's best-selling novel, sci-fi novel, uh, failed attempts. He right. had very grand ideas and visions about this, about bringing it to the screen. Uh, it did not happen, but someone did eventually bring it to the screen, and that would be David Lynch. The who, king of WTF movies, really. Yes, when really. You think about I it. know. Who, uh, it's funny that this was his like attempt at selling out. <laughs> um, he was brought in by producer Dino De Laurentiis, 
to uh, to direct this movie, which came out in 1984, cost 40 million dollars, which is you know very it's a huge budget at the time, and was a box office failure as well as a critical one. It's since been somewhat reevaluated. I think there's some people who are coming around to it, but the truth is, like this is it's like this is a story that already sounds insane because Dune is such a giant, like kind of very deliberately alien and very built out complicated world. So trying to squash it into any kind of movie length story makes it insane already. You know, like there's no way to, to cram all the elements in. And then you have David Lynch, who is not necessarily someone who is interested in coherent world building. I think as so much as like in, in this case, imagery and, and, having these really striking like striking moments and this movie is filled with those it's got some great great imagery and i think and it's also got some scenes that look terrible and it's also impossible to understand unless you've read the book which uh i i have and even then i feel like it's not entirely it doesn't entirely make narrative sense and it includes so many elements that don't need to be there hmm. uh it's it's uh you know david lynch was famously distance himself from this he doesn't like to talk about it he uh his original cut was like four hours long uh and the producers were like no and dino dolorantes i guess uh they shot some scenes to like kind of squash them together abridged a lot of other scenes with voiceover so the movie starts out with a character played by a young virginia madsen who is introducing who introduces everything like she just lays out a bunch of very complicated exposition uh, and then she does occasional voiceover. She is not really in the movie. She's just she is, exposition she, lady. You see her standing next to a main character, but she's not uh. like she is the daughter of an important character. And she she's part of the series of the books. But like you're like, why is she getting to tell this story? You, and and that's one of many weirdnesses of this. Uh, if, I, if I can, I will summarize the story as much as possible. It's set in a future in which there are Do different we have, houses. We, this is going to take the podcast yes, four I hours. Yes, I know, right? It's set in a future in which there are different houses on different planets, including one that's the Emperor of the Known Galaxy. <laughs> even this, I'm like, where do I even go for this? The one planet, this uh-huh. desert planet, desert June, planet. Uh, Arrakis, Arrakis. Uh, is the source of this very important mineral. Let's spice? Just say, spice. It's important for the whole galaxy. Naturally. And but well, whatever reason, Kyle McLaughlin goes there. Um, and then there's this prophecy that the li- like native peoples who have been just kind of living out in the desert, uh, that they're going to have this prophet, which turns out to be Kyle McLaughlin. And there's also all this stuff involving when does Sting mutants. get involved? He's uh, yes. Let me let's just say okay. In this this story involves among other things these feuding space royalty and all female psychic group. You really Bene should be Gesserit. saying all of this in the nerd voice. Yes. Feuding um, space royalty. These mutants, mutants who are the only people who can fold space, which allows for intergalactic travel. Folding using space. space. There are these kind of space Bedouins called the Fremen. Space Bedouin. Prophecies. Giant sandworms. Mm. Uh, and, and that's really just the start. And uh, yes, yeah, Sting is this character. You, you've described, you, 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 you've only spent about, I don't know, 45 seconds. Uh-huh. I'm already bored. Yes. And, all of these things are there. Like as they, there's not even so much exposition as, as like some of them, these things are thrown out and then you're supposed to just kind of follow along. Right. The things that it does also, this movie has employs like this whispery voiceover of the character's thoughts. So the I'm character, Paul, right yes, it, it's like a Terrence Malick movie. Right weirdly, now. he'll be like whispering, like, 
the Arrakis, the desert planet. As he's like looking out the window at Arrakis, the desert planet. And you're like, well, well, there it is. Um, But as much as there is just like, it makes no sense. And I can understand why everyone was completely like just, you know, couldn't follow anything. And that was like the main complaints were that. There are some like some fantastic scenes in this. Uh, like the whole look of it is this kind of baroque looking. Co- it's it's somewhere between sci-fi and then like I don't know some kind of throwback royalty. Their feudalism. Everyone has weird robes and uh, and kind of elaborate castles they live in. And the you the love sand a robe. I you do. love a movie where everyone's wearing robes or for capes some and things. Yeah, yeah, you love that. Uh, or the sandworms, costuming. the sandworms, which are these giant worms that are out in the desert, they yeah, look great. I've and yes, and like you know, most great, like memorable sci-fi monsters, they look like nightmare versions of genitalia. Right. Um, so are you, you would recommend? I mean, I, yeah, you're recommending this movie. Yes. Even it's though it doesn't so, make any sense and it's terrible. Well, I, yeah, I've, I've I've read the book. It helps to have read the book. So I have to I read the book first because I I'm I, as as I'd you might be able to tell, I've never seen Dune. I would be really curious if you just watched the movie, what you thought of it. Do I have, should I be in an altered state of mind? When I first saw it, this is the second time I took another look at it. When I first saw it, I was in college and I think I was the only person who was not high in the room <laughs> and it probably would have helped to be high because right. you don't try and stick to right. the plot And it doesn't much. matter that it doesn't make any sense. Right. But I, I think that it it's David Lynch getting in, in like a kind of limited sense, but getting this giant budget yes and to create a universe Mm -hmm. right and to create this like crazy world and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that he puts in that is not in the book okay including one part where (laughs) a character is like uh has been held hostage and the evil guy comes in and is like you've been fed poison and now the only (laughs) antidote there is for it is you have this cat and he gives him a cat it's like you have to milk this cat every day what? to get the antidote to keep you alive each day. Never mentioned again. Character I don't think is even oh seen God. again. And that was not in the book. That was David Lynch's uh, personal invention, the cat. This obelisk is of your hardest stone. Kick it. Hit it. Yell at it. Break! Corbin, cut it. Move back. It's David Lynch trying to explode through the confi- confines of like what clearly the producers were hoping would be the next Star Wars, right. and it's not the next well, Star Wars. Maybe when they legalize marijuana in New York State, I'll take a look at I'll take a look at Dune. Yeah, well, 
uh, it may happen sooner than later. So, <laughs> Where so can I watch it? Uh, you can watch it on a- Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, the usual rental places. Okay. I was thinking, you know, you mentioned about, I think it feels like about six and a half hours ago before you started talking about David Lynch's Dune, you mentioned Jodorowsky's Dune, and I was thinking that would be a good pick for this, even though, you know, we had just mentioned it. That's why I didn't think it was worth talking about again. I mean, but like, and clearly he is... You get to see his vision of that movie, and as crazy as David Lynch's Dune sounds from your description, like, Jodorowsky's Dune would have been the craziest I mean, movie the ever. Like any Jodorowsky movie, right? And right? he was like, the master he is, of... He is the master of the... Right, what the Holy Mountain, like, and, yeah. and yeah, so... Yeah, that's another one. Uh, I don't know if I can't recommend Dune. I haven't seen it, but I I can re- recommend Jodorowsky's Dune, which is another. It's kind of a documentary about making mind-bending movies. So that's a that's a really really fun film as well. All right, my last pick, quickly here is the nineteen seventy seven film House, directed by Nobuhiku Obayashi, and you can rent it on Amazon or iTunes, or you can also stream this one on Hulu Plus, and. This is one of my favorite, again, favorite WTF, strange, bizarre, crazy movies. Have you seen this one, Allison? I have seen this one. Okay. So it starts out kind of looking like, I don't know, like a cutesy, innocuous teen comedy. It's these seven Japanese teenagers. They all travel out to the country to visit one of the group's aunt. Uh, that's gorgeous, who's sort of the ringleader of the group. She's feeling depressed. Her father has come home from a business trip, introduces her to this woman, says, this is going to be your new stepmom. I'm getting remarried. You know, her, her mother had died a couple years earlier. She's really upset about it. So she writes to her aunt, who she never sees, can I come visit you? The aunt writes back and says, sure, come along. And so she brings along all of her friends. And they all have, like, cutesy names and talent. You know, like almost like G.I. Joe characters or something. There's Kung Fu, uh, Prof, who's the smart one. There's Mac, who eats a lot and so on. You know, they each have a different skill. Melody plays music, so on and so forth. And there's a there's a there's some hints of weirdness here and there at the beginning. There's these strange cuts and jarring transitions. The the sets are very obviously fake and heavily stylized. But really it doesn't really get crazy until the girls arrive at the aunt's house and then all hell breaks loose. One by one the girls start going missing and the house comes to life and basically tries to eat them. And by the end of the film, it's almost like we've just we've crossed over into another universe or another dimension just absolute insanity the uh, you know like walls springing to life and pictures of cats turn into cats and floors become liquid and it's just insane it's absolutely crazy It doesn't follow the rules. You know, things don't make sense in the way that traditional movies do and in the way that sometimes we kind of hold against movie. Well, that doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. If you're that kind of person where if you get annoyed where things in a movie don't make sense, you can skip this one. You do not need to watch this. But if you can get past that, you can see that. And kind of like The Visitor, not to spoil our review of that, like there's so much skill that went into it. It's so brilliantly directed. The compositions are beautiful. The effects are incredible and really disturbing. There are some very kind of hallucinogenic but beautiful and also scary imagery. And it just, it goes, it goes all the way. It goes for it. It's not holding anything back. And it's it's doing it in a way that very few movies do. And... 
it is strange and I think at times it's intentionally funny and maybe at other times it's unintentionally funny and I don't know that it all works but it it is so again so unique and bizarre and fascinating and beautiful and I've seen it once, you know, the Criterion Collection released it a few years ago, and I think they even, they put it in theaters, sort of toured it around the country doing midnight shows. So I saw it at a press screening, and not really knowing all that much about it, and was just blown away, and I watched it again yesterday, and having forgotten parts of it, and having remembered only, like, the craziest stuff, and just, again, being so kind of hypnotized by it, and just, you've never seen anything like it, it's just so terrifying and beautiful, and hilarious and amazing. It really is incredible. So definitely not for the uh, the, the people who I demand movies make sense, but if you are willing to take the ride, maybe to uh, alter your consciousness along the way, perhaps that might help in this case as well. It is quite, quite the journey. It is House. You can rent it on Amazon or iTunes, or you can stream it on Hulu+. Plus. Barbara is a miracle nature. She carries in her womb something which transcends the world of everyday reality. She is able to give birth to children of immense powers, both natural and supernatural. She is the only woman of this generation who carries the genes She was assigned to you, so far without success. We want to do everything in our power to assist you, Raymond. We feel that events in the next few days will help your mission, and that you will achieve our intent. But we've invested a great deal of time and money in you, and we cannot wait much longer. We need another child like Katie. Barbara must give birth to a brother for Katie. Power corrupts, Raymond. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. But we must have that power. Well, that brings us to our listeners' choice section. And in our last episode, we offered you a choice between the recent documentary Dinosaur 13 and two older films, both re-releases from Drafthouse Films, the 1979 oddity The Visitor, and Abel Ferrara's exploitation film Ms. 45. It quickly became a race between the older titles with The Visitor, which you can currently watch on Amazon Prime Video, pulling out in front and holding on to its lead to win. Directed by Michael J. Paradise, nay, Giulio Paradisi, The Visitor is based on a story by producer Ovidio G. Asinitis, um, who's a filmmaker who's associated primarily with making transparent ripoffs of more successful movies. Warner Brothers sued over his uh, how much his 1974 film Beyond the Door resembled The Exorcist, while his 1977 film Tentacles, which is about a giant octopus terrorizing a beach town, came out a mere two years after Steven Spielberg's Jaws. The Visitor could be called a ripoff of The Omen, as it also features a sinister kid with evil powers, but it also tries to kind of copy some sci-fi movies, leading it to be much more incoherent and weird than a mere devil child knockoff. John Huston plays God, basically. Commander Yahweh, who has been in a long battle with the evil space criminal Satine, who he killed and whose descendants he has to keep an eye on on Earth. 
Yahweh leaves his home planet, which looks like a glass house filled with bald children and Jesus, to go down to Earth, where, for whatever reason, he chooses to go by the name Jersey Kolosovich. <laughs> and he does nothing, basically. Uh, you know, this is a battle, for a film that is about a battle between good and evil, both sides do very little. <laughs> they do very little in terms of action as cosmic forces go. In this movie, Jersey mostly just hangs around mm-hmm. while evil takes the form of a malicious boardroom led by Mel Ferrer, who have tasked a basketball team owner, played by Lance <laughs> Henriksen, <laughs> to marry and impregnate a divorcee. All right, guys, here's the plan. Named Barbara Collins, played by Joanne Joanne Nail. (laughs) Barbara is the mother of Katie, played by Paige Connor, who is the malicious alien spawn with the powers of Satine. Mm -hmm, Satine. And the plan is, I guess, that that Barbara have another child, a boy, that Katie will incestuously marry. Correct. That's what I got. That was the plan. I'm with you. So, Matt, I summed up that plot as much as I think I can. Yeah. So, I guess my first question for you is, did you enjoy this movie more as an incoherent horror movie or as a nonsensical sci-fi movie? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked any question except the question I was worried you were going to ask, which was, can you describe the plot of this movie? Because you did a fabulous job. I don't think I could have summed it up that easily. What was the two options? Uh, hor- what was it? Incoherent horror movie or nonsensical sci-fi movie. Did you enjoy it more as one or the other? Mm, that's a great question. I guess I, I preferred some of the horror elements of it because it is kind of trashily. I don't know if it's necessarily all that scary, but it kind of has fun with it although i like the sci-fi elements too i i enjoyed a lot about this movie it is as i as we're sitting here describing it it is insane it's crazy it's very trashy and yet at other times it's very beautiful and kind of amazing looking and then it goes back to trash and then back to beautiful i'd say the one thing i really did not enjoy about this movie that kind of holds me back from saying it's a masterpiece of wtfness is the pace it is a little slow at times it's very slow uh, there are some sequences that kind of drag on and on and on. And as you said, there's a lot of people standing around, staring at each other, as if the movie was kind of cut together from outtakes of a different, maybe better movie. Oh, just whole sequences where they're nothing supposed happens. to be suspenseful, yeah. but, but like nothing happens. And they yes. play that same music over yes. and over again. Like the least earned dramatic music cues ever. <laughs> there are times <laughs> where like I, the the part where like the first time it happens, I, I feel like just to get a good sense of what this movie is like. It starts off in outer space where, uh, where Yahweh is that outer space? Or wherever it is, it another seems like world. another dimension. To me. Wherever it is, Yahweh is um, gets this vision of of the fact that there's a little girl, a new little girl, and he's going off. Yes, and and Jesus or whatever looks up and is like, "Has <laughs> it happened again?" And he's like, "Yes." Her name is Katie Collins. She will be eight years old. Dum 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 dum. dum. And then the movie cuts to a slow pull out. I'll, 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 the, I'll cut in the music. We've the... talked about it enough. I will okay. include the music here. But like, like it cuts from this dramatic moment and to a, while it's still playing a slow pull out on the Atlanta skyline and then to a <laughs> basketball game. Yeah. And I was like, let's talk about that basketball game, because I was at first I was like, wow, th- look at this. This whole stadium is filled. They must have shot this at an NBA game. And I'm like, these aren't NBA teams. Was this like an ABA game? And then I'm like, the Atlanta Rebels? There's no such team. So they I don't know if they filmed it at a game in the at the at the halftime. I don't know how they did it. But that sequence is amazing, and it's shot really weirdly and beautifully. Like, there's shots 
on the court kind of floating through the crowd, the, the players, and you can actually kind of follow what's going on. It's like one of the most interestingly and weirdly shot sports basketball sequences I've ever seen in a movie. And then it ends with like a character literally exploding a basketball <laughs> using her mind. The evil girl blows up a basketball to win, like to win a game. Like she's the, the daughter uh, or the, I guess the sort of adopted stepdaughter yeah. or whatever oh, of, yeah. of the Lance Hendrickson oh, character yeah. who owns the team. Right. So she wants his team to win. And with five seconds left, the, the, the other team is about to score and, and come from behind and win the game. And she uses her mind powers to, I guess, blow up the ball or the net. There's no a, one comments. There's a, there's a huge explosion. The game is now over and no one thinks it's odd. Yes. Not in the slightest. There's, I mean, she has her, one of the other big moments she uses her powers is when she's on the, the ice, ice skating, skating rink. And that whole sequence is like needless. And, and she does it just because she feels like it, I guess. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It, it is a strange, strange film. And uh, honestly, the, the one thing I would say, though, is that, again, like I almost felt like it could have been even stranger. Like, again, there was those moments where John Huston is just kind of standing around staring and the music swells and goes, da, 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 yeah, da. There's a really good moment where he like first he walks onto this like rooftop and it's like a really average looking rooftop of like like a long stretch of like it looks like rocks have been put down. But he walks up under this rooftop and then the music swells and he's yes. just walking out into the rooftop and you're like, Okay. And something has been accomplished, I guess. Yeah. He does so little in this movie. He does he very, just, very little. For like the forces of good, he's just waiting around, I guess. I don't know what he's doing. He's just standing around. I mean, did you did you like it? I guess we haven't asked you yet. Did you yeah. enjoy it? I mean I do. It's 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 really funny sometimes and it is so weird especially when it does things like cut intercut dramatic moments with uh katie doing gymnastics which it seems to think is like very impactful <laughs> <laughs> like that just like all or sinister or something well did you hear her. the music da, 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 da. i exactly. mean that is but like the, when the music starts you're like i don't know what i'm supposed to be feeling yeah, when this music starts because it, it happens in such weird moments yes i do agree it's it's very long or there are parts where it feels very long. And, and that's one of the things that can be sometimes charming about it is that sequences are allowed to go on for way too long, right. uh, particularly but when, ag and again, this is like, it, it's, it's, it's like, what was the movie we were talking about before? Oh, house. it's like house. It, it really does feel like something from another dimension. Like it has, it has so little connection to, even though it is, as you've said, like blatantly ripped off from the omen and, the birds there's that sequence that's just like yes. straight up the birds there's a lot of birds in this movie attacking people and yet that sequence with the birds with what glenn ford of, of all people who plays like a detective that scene is kind of amazing like he's in a car it's like a crazy car chase with a bird attacking him kind of a well shot well edited sequence actually for what it is and then has this crazy crash and not to spoil it but like well it doesn't matter because he's you know like he seems like he'll be a major character <laughs> Never heard from not to kid. spoil it, but he's not a major, not a major character. <laughs> and, and like Franco Nero, apparently he, you're like, who is, who is he? He looks like Jesus. And then in the credits, I think he's credited as, as Jesus, Jesus, but he's blonde, and he's like, he's just sitting in a room talking to these bald kids Children. about Satine, and he says mutant in the best way possible, like mutant. Mutant. Satine is a mutant. One of the things that I thought was unintentionally funny about the movie is just. 
how many terrible things happen to the character to the, of Barbara? To the mother, like yeah. The, this poor woman. Yes, the mother like, of the evil, the yes. evil kid. Like very early on, I, this is not a spoiler. I don't if you can even spoil this movie. She gets paralyzed. I yes. don't know why this is supposed to be helpful to the plan. It doesn't seem like it no, really. No, I is. was wondering about that too because <laughs> the evildoers have this very specific plan that you mentioned. They want her. To, they want to impregnate her with another spawn of Satine, who is a mutant and then they want to have have this kid born and then presumably like i guess like you said they don't really make this clear but i guess uh have an incestuous relationship with the the girl who already exists and then they'll take over the world something 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 take over the world but it would seem that yeah like paralyzing her with a gunshot that someone gives her not she's shot from a gun that she gets in a present and i couldn't tell if that was part of the plan or not it seemed to be part of the plan. And I, and if not, if it wasn't part of the plan, why wasn't anyone upset about it? No. Also, like, she is the most benevolent mom. Like, her daughter, like, injures her seriously several times. Right. And she's just like, she's just a little girl. Yeah, she and, just couldn't talk. And also, yeah. like, she, all of these terrible things happen to her. And then, she finally, <laughs> she goes to her ex-husband for help. And then one... Played by Sam Peckinpah, Sam Peckinpah, I believe. Yeah. So you're already like, man, you went through some rough stuff. Yeah. And then two, he immediately lays into her to be like, well, you left me because you wanted something fancier. <laughs> that woman... I, I was thinking, <laughs> how many characters in the history of movies have suffered more abuse than that character? Example. I mean, I was, it was almost like a Sam Raimi movie and she's Bruce Campbell. I mean, she is put through the ringer. Yes. I mean, even after the poor character is, is paralyzed, there are scenes where she's like physically attacked and assaulted and dragged around yeah. and... But again, some of those like scenes are very visceral. Like that when the girl, there's that scene where she comes into the room and the girl's facing away from her, and there's like suspense, like she's, you know, something's gonna happen, crazy. And then she turns around, and there's all kinds of weird stuff going on with her face, and she's doing gymnastics flips, and and it's again kind of an amazing sequence. It's it's sort of terrifying and sort of hilarious and well shot, well edited, and yeah, it's weird. It is a strange movie. We should mention also like Shelly Winters, I think. Shelly Winters is the, the maid. maid, the nurse, the and nanny. Who is also introduced like she's going to be a major character. Isn't really. Has but some, has some sort great of... weird scenes. Yeah. Especially one where she like slaps a little girl. <laughs> and sings that song. And... Yes. And then you're like, does she know something? Does she not? Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Like one of the many things. I was like making a list of some of the things that don't that are incorporated into this movie that seem kind of incidental, including yes. basketball, yes. gymnastics, yes. figure skating. Yes. There's an abortion. Yes. <laughs> Birds. Yes. Like I, the housekeeper, <laughs> like yep. all of these things that never really like one just like blatant incident of like terrible racial stereotypes. Oh yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yes. <laughs> and, and yes, all of them that seem kind of just thrown in there. Incidental. Like, you know how sometimes uh, NASA or to 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 search for alien life in the universe, they send out uh, movies or they send out they'll send out a Beatles song into the ether trying to find someone to respond to these sound waves we're sending out. This seems like something that an alien race sent to us to see if anyone would respond and how we would respond. And I think the only proper response is to just like shake your head and go, wow, this is a thing. This is really a thing. And uh, I know I w- there are some parts of this movie that I will remember as long as I live, <laughs> for sure. And I will smile and chuckle when, when I think of them. So uh, I think it's uh, it, it, I don't think it's a, a masterpiece. I don't. I, I think I would put it below most of the WTF movies we've discussed here. Like I would I would rate it below House. I would I would. I, I mean, it's sort of similar, I guess, to the Apple, and just that it's so insane. 
but I would probably prefer watching the Apple again just because it, it's a little shorter and it's it like I said the pace of that is really good and and the visitor kind of has some some laggy moments but it's worth one viewing I would say if you're into this sort of thing it's definitely worth at least one viewing yeah well that is the visitor and you can currently stream it on Amazon Prime Instant Video da 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 All right, we're about to close things out on this episode of SVU with Behind the Eight Ball, our segment where we recommend some movies. We count down three new releases on streaming, two listener recommendations, and one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. And uh, as I think uh, regular listeners will know, we've started just before that segment doing just a little roundup of new movies. The one caveat we have this time is it's the la- we're literally recording this the very last uh, day of, of August. There's nothing. This is the worst year of the of, of the, the worst, worst week. week of the year f- for movies. We've seen nothing, so yes. we're gonna just we're gonna punt yeah. this time out. We still need a title. We've gotten a few good suggestions, but we're still looking. If you have suggestions for this segment, please email us. We should set up us. a poll for this. Yeah, we should set up a poll for it. Yeah, or email your suggestions svu at filmspottingsvu.com for our sort of new release roundup segment. What should we call it? I've gotten a few that I like, but I'd like to see I'm not, I'm not, Nothing is so great. We're not great. closing it yet. Yeah, we're not closing it yet. We're still, still looking. So if you have some ideas for this where mostly Allison, but a little bit of Matt, run down the new releases of the week. What should we call it? What should that segment be called? Give us a name. Give us a suggestion. SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. All right. Let's get to Behind the Eight Ball. Allison, you're going first. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's start with three new releases. All right. First up is The Cosmopolitans. Uh, you may have noticed that Amazon has put five new pilots online. You know, with its originals, Amazon is doing this thing where it puts the pilots online and then judges by how many people watch them and how they rate them. And from there decides which ones are going to green light. Um, off of this process, they greenlit transparent which was my favorite of the last round of uh, pilots which is coming out soon on amazon and i'm looking forward to that so among the new pilots is red oaks which is a half hour company directed by david gordon green and produced by steven soderbergh and there's also an hour-long drama called hand of god starring ron perlman and from director mark forster um these obviously won't all go to series uh, but the one that i would steer you to in this bunch that i, I haven't seen all of them yet is The Cosmopolitans, which is written and directed by Whit Stillman, and is about a group of expats in Paris fumbling through kind of aspirationally upper-crust life. Uh, features Adam Brody, who's actually a very good fit for Whit Stillman, and a guest appearance by Chloe Sevigny. And it kind of recalls Barcelona, his, his, his movie. Um, there's something that's very episodic about Stillman's work anyway, so it really lends itself well. I feel like this is a very promising half-hour comedy, and I would love to see it go to series. So uh, check that out. It is You can see them all at AmazonOriginals.com. Uh, new to Netflix is a movie we've already mentioned a few times on this podcast, Blue Ruin, uh, Jeremy Saulnier's revenge thriller about a man named Dwight Evans, played by Macon Blair, who embarks on a journey of revenge without having really thought it out. And it goes probably about as well as if any of us tried out a plan of revenge. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great film, and it's great that it's on Netflix now. Do check it out. Uh, and finally, new to Hulu is 
Mars, which is a 2010, I think, or uh, yes, 2010 indie, written and directed by Jeff Marslett, um, and it's rotoscoped animation like Waking Life, um, starring Mark Duplass, Zoe Dean, Cynthia Watros, and others, and is about an expedition to Mars where life has been discovered. But this is not by any means hard sci-fi. It's kind of stoner sci-fi. It's very shabby and sweet, and and I like it a lot. And uh, you know, just to kind of show the type of movie it is singer and satirist kinky friedman is the president in the world of mars so uh, that is on hulu and is also worth checking out all right how about two <laughs> listener recommendations all right first up is one from gray from manchester who writes okay i just finished watching the one i love and have been telling everyone to do the same elizabeth moss and mark duplass play a couple sent by their marriage counselor to a house in the country to make a final attempt to make their marriage work Strange things happen. Can't tell much more than that. It is well acted, highly original, and beautifully shot. Just watch it. Read no more about it. Um, and you can find that for rent uh, on all the usual places now. The one I love. And finally, our Andy from Philadelphia, PA, writes, You can watch the first season of Rectify on Netflix, a Sunday Channel show about a very Damien Eccles-ish man named Daniel Holden, who gets released from death row in Georgia following DNA evidence that comes to light. <clears throat> from my understanding, uh, creator Ray McKinnon knows Eccles, who was in he, one of the people in the Paradise Lost films, one of the teenagers who was imprisoned, um, was somewhat involved in the campaign to get them free. So I can't help but see it as a major influence, those documentaries as a major influence on the show. It's a beautifully slow-moving, small-town story about a man who wasn't supposed to still be here, returning home and trying to continue on with his life. While it could bask in the grim reality of life as an ex-con, it mostly shows how deeper Daniel is taking in his surroundings since he nearly lost them permanently. The second season is on now, and its bigger scope is forcing the show to lose some steam, in my opinion. But at six tight episodes, the first season makes an almost amazing five-hour movie. Okay, and one film from your my list. <laughs> um, you gave me number 52, which is Adore. Uh, that's Anne Fontaine's film starring Naomi Watts and Robin White Wright as a pair of best friends who end up having affairs with each other's teenage sons. Uh, this was uh, derided, I think, on the, on the festival circuit. Um, and then I saw the trailer before another movie, and it was just absolutely laughed at for I think good reason but it was so very in the vein of a young girl's strange erotic journey from Milan to Minsk <laughs> in terms of that like a kind of racy movie that's also has aspirations towards being arty that I was kind of sold and you're I added it. You're swept up. Yes and just like if this is as goofy as it looks in this trailer then I want to see it. All right. All right Matt are you ready? Yes. Okay, three new picks. All right, first up, nobody writes a sharp-witted con man movie like David Mamet. And The Spanish Prisoner from 1997 is now streaming on Crackle. It is about Campbell Scott as this uh, inventor who creates the process, this thing that is a MacGuffin. It can create potentially a lot of money if, of course, he can hang on to it and not have it stolen. And, of course, from there, it's... It's shenanigans aplenty with Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Pigeon, Ricky Jay, Ben Gazzara, Ed O'Neill, and in a rare non-comedic role, Steve Martin. He plays this wealthy man who takes an interest in Campbell Scott's character. And one of my favorite David Mamet's, one of the first I ever saw, I remember seeing it in like 1997 or 1998, right around when it came out, and just thinking, this guy is awesome. And then kind of going back and discovering all his, his earlier works. And maybe not his best film, but definitely one that's worth checking out if you enjoy 
if you enjoy con men movies, if you enjoy David Mamet's stuff. So such great dialogue too throughout. It's really a wonderful, uh, just a really entertaining movie. That's the Spanish Prisoner, now streaming on Crackle. Next up, the latest documentary from Errol Morris, The Unknown Known, is now available on Netflix. Sort of a like spiritual sequel, I would say, to his Oscar-winning film, The Fog of War. It's a long-form interrogation of a major uh, American figure of the 20th century and some of the 21st century in this case. It's Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, who worked for President Nixon and Ford and, of course, George W. Bush where he was, you know, famously involved in the war on terror. And I don't think it's it's one of Morris's best films. Rumsfeld kind of stymies him. Yeah, I think in some... Which is interesting. Yeah, I think in some ways that's sort of... I don't think that's the point, but I think that's kind of interesting about it, that he kind of... It's his, he himself remains the unknown known in the middle of the movie. So, uh, like, I don't think it's, again, not, not one of his best films, but if you're a fan of Errol Morris... Still classic. worth, yeah, yeah it's still worth Morris. checking out. Totally, if you, and especially you have Netflix already, so that's the unknown known streaming on Netflix. And finally, a really wonderful curiosity to check out: it's Zero Hour from 1957, which is streaming on Warner Archive Instant. It is about the passengers and pilot of a commercial flight getting poisoned by bad fish, and then it's up to this combat-scarred World War II veteran named Ted Stryker <laughs> to land the plane and save the day. Does it sound familiar? Not at all. If it does, that's because you've seen Airplane, the movie that almost literally, scene by scene, and in some cases, line by line, ripped this movie off. This is the movie that uh, the Zucker brothers took and basically added jokes to, without changing all that much, to make Airplane. And so if you've seen Airplane, you know, this is a fascinating movie to watch. It's not a very great movie. It's not super entertaining on its own. If Airplane didn't exist, I would not recommend it. But if you enjoy Airplane, it is so interesting to watch, you know, Sterling Hayden in the Lloyd Bridges part and Dana uh, Dana Andrews in the uh, in the main Ted Stryker part. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting to watch. It's Zero Hour streaming now on Warner Archive Instant. Okay, two less listener recommendations. Uh, I'm going to actually go with two recommendations from one listener this time, from Trevor, who uh, write, wrote us in with a bunch of recommendations. I'll give you two of them. He says, Thunderstorms are in the forecast for Labor Day weekend here in New York City, and that's kept me inside. I've watched a bunch of stuff. The first up is the film A Touch of Sin by Zsa Janka. Though it contains stylish, expertly choreographed sequences of violence, the film never cedes its social conscience to gaudy entertainment. This film takes an unflinching look at China's social problems, most obviously the seismic disparity between urban and rural opportunities. The locations of the film are at one with the moods of its characters, empty, broken, seemingly nowhere, and an overturned strawberry truck seen at the very beginning of the film is a powerful forerunner for the chaos to come. That's very nicely put. That is a really good movie, one of my favorites from last year as well, A Touch of Sin. I think it's streaming now on Netflix. And the second recommendation here I'm going to share from Trevor is uh, a short film, a unique dark comedy called Side Effected, directed by an apparent newcomer named Lev Pakman. The entire seven-minute film is a single conversation in a room between a pharmaceutical executive and one of his underlings. They discuss a troubling rumor about the negative effects of a new drug the company has in development. Using razor-sharp editing and clever dialogue to satirize the pharmaceutical industry, the film seamlessly weaves moments of horrifying tension with laugh-out-loud absurdity, building to a deeply satisfying twist ending 
in this clever portrayal of corporate malfeasance, you can find the film on Vimeo.com. And that's great. We don't get enough short recommendations. And they're, yeah. you know, they're all over the place. And there's some wonderful ones out there. So that's really cool. So the name of the film, again, is Side Affected on Vimeo. Okay, and one from your My List. You gave me number 27, and this time that is Wish You Were Here, which I think was one of the opening night films from the 2012 Sundance Film Festival, I want to say. The plot description from Netflix is, after their friend disappears while they're vacationing in Cambodia together, Steph, Alice, and Dave must face a shocking truth about what happened. And it was directed by Kieran Darcy-Smith, and it stars Joel Edgerton, Teresa Palmer, Felicity Price and Anthony Starr, and it didn't get great reviews, I think, at Sundance where it premiered, but uh, you know, I, I like Joel Edgerton a lot, and I think this was a case where I saw it pop up on Netflix one week when I was looking to see what was new, and I was like, oh, you know, I would watch that if I got bored enough and the mood struck, so I added it, and that's why it's sitting there. I haven't gotten around to it yet. It's got bumped down quite a bit at this point, but at some point I, I probably will check it out. That's Wish You Were Here. Allison, it's time for our options for our next episode. We're going to uh, try to pick off one of those newer movies that we've missed or you might have seen, but I missed all of them. I think you've seen one one of them. them. So time to catch up with some newer titles. It's fall. We got to get these movies seen before the end of the year, of course. So we're going to start doing that with our next episode. Three very intriguing options. They're all rental options. The first one is going to be available on iTunes and Amazon starting on September 2nd. We mentioned it in opening break. It's Night Moves. It's the new film from Kelly Reichert with Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, and Peter Sarsgaard. They play, I guess, aspiring eco-terrorists, although that's sort of a strange phrase that I never thought I would say, uh, those words in combination. But that's sort of what they are, as I understand it. It's supposed to be a really great film. It's gotten great reviews. Love Kelly Reichert. We could maybe do a Kelly Reichert podcast. That could be kind of cool. Yeah. Or we could do the environment or environmentalists as a theme. Definitely some options. that We could We could even do like a Peter Sarsgaard podcast. Could be kind of amazing, too. He's made a lot of interesting films yeah. as well. And not someone who gets talked a lot about because he tends to play more supporting characters. So a lot of good potential themes there. I think the movie uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing. That's Night Moves, rentable on Amazon and iTunes and probably some other places as well. And on VOD, of course. Uh, going to be available starting on September 2nd. All right, our second pick is one we've also mentioned earlier. It is Starred Up, the new film from David McKenzie, whose past films include things like Young Adam um, with Ewan McGregor and Tilda Swinton and Hallam Foe. And Ewan McGre- Ewan's McGregor, right? Wasn't that part of what it was famous for? But he's David McKenzie is known for doing kind of racy, Graphic, dark sec- dramas. Okay. Yes. But it was, right? Wasn't that his, his Young yeah. Adam's time to fame? Yes, I, Young Adam, um, and I think was one of those ones that was like uh, it was either released unrated or right was it was a, there was a there ratings. was a to do yes yes okay i'm thinking yes. of the right movie yes continue um and this movie this is not a a racy movie it is but it is one that's marked by violence you know it's uh jack o'connell is the the prisoner and it's got a great cast and i think it's just a really interesting prison story and jack o'connell is is Really fantastic in the lead role. Uh, as I mentioned, I've seen this. I'm a big fan of it. I would love to talk about it. And, yeah, and I've, I've been hearing nothing but great things. I need to check it out. So yeah. very happy to have the excuse. I will be seeing this movie either way at some point, but would love to to, to see it as soon as possible. It sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, and you know, I, I think we've already done things on prison movies, I believe. We did an past, episode all about think, prison movies. You know, there we can talk about father and son relationships. We mm-hmm. can talk about kind of 
even like things about like I think the group therapy scenes are very interesting in this, and that's like a long oh, tradition therapy. of movies. Yeah, you know? that could definitely so be a topic. So there could be something there too, and yes. that's another one that's available for rent and is on demand. Yeah, if you want to hear our whole episode where we recommended prison movies that you can stream, that was episode number forty. That was with Orange Is the New Black. We did Orange Is the New Black, and we talked about prison movies. So you can find that at FilmSpottingSVU.com. All right, our last option. Also available for rental on Amazon and iTunes and a bunch of other places. It's called The Dog. This is a alumni of the Toronto, New York, South by Southwest Film Festivals. It's played all over the festival circuit. Gotten very good reviews almost everywhere it's gone. It is a documentary. It is about a gentleman by the name of John Wojtowicz, I want to say. And I probably slaughtered that, but I apologize. And his claim to fame is being the man who inspired the great... Uh, 1970s drama Dog Day Afternoon, the Sidney Lumet film. He is the guy, the real-life guy. It was based on a real case, a real event that happened in New York City in 1972. And he is the man that uh, was involved in that, in that the real-life hostage situation and bank robbery. So the documentary is about what really happened and about the real guy and about his life. And it was uh, directed by two filmmakers, Alison Berg and Frank Caraudron. And it's, it says, uh, reading, this is from a description from, I think, the Draft House Films website. They distributed this one. There, uh, that it, in, it interweaves archival footage of the robbery, 70s-era interviews, uh, and the early gay liberation movement in which the dog played an active role. The dog, in quotes, I guess that's his nickname, the guy's nickname. Uh, and it captures the many sides of this character, his larger-than-life persona, by turns lover, husband, soldier, activist, New Yorker, mama's boy, and bank robber. So we haven't, neither of us have seen this one. Another yeah. one we've been hearing a lot about and wanting to check out. So really, we can't really go wrong this week. I think we've got three yeah. really great options. Happy to talk about any of these. Yeah, Happy and that one, I mean, there's them. a lot of options we could talk about as well. We could talk about... True stories. True stories, fiction and documentary. There's all kinds of the 70s. So many places we could go with that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's The Dog, and it is rentable on iTunes and Amazon. So which of these movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, September 8th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, September 16th. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. And if you want to listen to that episode about prison movies, you can find that there as well. The FilmSpotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. But in the meantime, if you want, and you really should, you could follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer. And you could follow the show, of course, at Filmspotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you guys, the SVU listeners. And do not forget, keep sending us your suggestions via email so we can read them on the show. The email address is svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And we're still looking for a name for that segment. Send those there as well. For Filmspotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>